Let's go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Actually, Psalm 106 pairs up well with Psalm 105. Psalm 105 was a long psalm about how the Lord had been faithful, how the Lord had treated Israel, and um, how he uh, treated them very faithfully, very kindly over the ages. Psalm 106 is how Israel treated God, and it's kind of ugly. And um, uh, so we're going to see a lot of failure, a lot of mistakes on their part, um, uh, you know, if there's if there's a big theme in Psalm 106, um, it's that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, and so um, we don't know who wrote Psalm 106, um, but it seems to be somebody who is in captivity of some sort. It, it could have been written by somebody who was taken captive during uh, the northern tribes. Um, being conquered and taken out of the land by Assyria, or it could have been written by somebody who was uh, taken out of the land and gone into captivity um, when the southern tribes fell uh, to Babylon. We don't know. Um, But he, uh, the writer, is looking to the Lord regardless and confessing sin. It's a psalm of confession. It starts in verse 1, it says, praise the Lord. And it actually finishes with that same word. That's actually one word in Hebrew. That's the hallelujah. It's a Hebrew word. means praise the Lord. It's the first word and the last word. And um, he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You know, we could stop there and just talk about the goodness of the Lord uh, all evening and give thanks to the Lord. Uh, for his mercy enduring forever. Both of those are plenty of reasons to praise the Lord, uh, to give thanks to him, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. And so... Uh, people read verse 3 and go, well, that's not me. I don't keep justice all the time, and I don't do righteousness all the time. Well, that's not what it's saying, is that you're only blessed if you're perfect. That's not what it's saying. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Do you believe that uh, that your sin requires judgment, the sin of your life? Well, yeah. Okay, well, that's justice. you keeping justice then. And do you believe that um, uh, the righteousness you need is only a gift from God? Well, yeah. Okay, well, then you're doing righteousness. So that includes you. Don't, uh, don't wipe yourself out there because verse 3, um, uh, you think it means something it doesn't mean. You are blessed because you are keeping justice and doing righteousness because you trust the Lord uh, for the justice and the righteousness. So, um, remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Um, You know, this is really a mark of somebody who's spiritual, uh, somebody who's spiritually mature, is, is that he wants to be included in with, with whatever God's doing and wherever he's blessing and wherever he's blessing people, I want to be there. And, um, you know, uh, look at me and have favor on me is what he says. Uh, remember me with the favor you have towards your people. Um, again, that's just an act of humility. I don't deserve anything before you, Lord. Uh, remember the man, the, the, the guy on the cross, Lord, if you just remember me, and that kind of uh, statement of faith, the Lord meets and says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what he could say to the guy on the cross. Um, verse 6, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Uh, you know, hey, that's a pretty good, heavy statement 
about confession of sin, isn't it? It wasn't they acted badly or, um, you know, it's us and them. They're worse than us. And it's none of that, none of that game playing or it's not, um, you know, renaming it in a politically correct way to soften up. We made some mistakes. We didn't quite get it right, that kind of stuff. It's none of that. It's we sinned. Uh, we committed iniquity. We acted wickedly, committed, committed iniquity, and have done wickedly. Those aren't real popular words, are they? Um, again, it's, it's far easier to kind of soften it up and to, to kind of repackage it and say, you know, we made a mistake, I didn't get it right, oops, stuff like that. But, um, again, and, and there's, no, there's no hint of I'm better than they are, I didn't do quite as bad as they you know, all of that is kind of just a, a measure of secret self-righteousness. It's, look, we're all, we're all just sinners, and we blew it, and we have sinned, and there's iniquity, and there's wickedness. It's a very spiritual, very mature way of looking at things. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. He's begun to, he's begun to recount all the ways in which um, historically they have treated God very, very badly. He's saying, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. So, you know the story. Um, You've been through the Old Testament. Exodus, ten super significantly powerful uh, miracles that set Israel free from being slaves in Egypt, really reducing the nation of of Egypt um, and uh, setting the, the Israelites free. And so they got to the edge of the Red Sea, and instead of reflecting on all of that and having that mean something to them, all that they saw God do, they, they acted like they, this is the first time they'd ever known anything about the Lord in the first encounter with him at all. And they, you know, he brought us out here to kill us, right? Uh, and that's very insulting to the Lord, uh, to have him... Act, uh, you know that's that's the the mistake that that they made is that uh, they they didn't take into consideration the things that they had seen the Lord do on their behalf. It didn't mean anything other than that He did it. It was a curiosity. And though I'm standing here right now, all that the Lord has done and said to me, I don't know anything about Him right now. You know, the Lord sees that as rebellion, but rebelled by the sea. They mean nothing to them. Nevertheless, He saved them for His namesake that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated him and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. <coughs> Excuse me. There was not one of them left. Uh, of course, you know the story, the Red Sea crossing. Uh, they go across the Red Sea on dry ground, the Egyptian army tries to follow them uh, in the morning, and as they get halfway through, then the Lord closes the sea back on them, and they, um, you know, the the Egyptian Delta force is wiped out, and uh, including the the uh, Pharaoh. So then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. No, that's a good thing that they saw the Lord, and they and they went through his deliverance. But how much grief and turmoil would they have saved themselves if they had put this believing his words and singing his praise at the front of it instead of on the backside? Um, you know, it would have been easier on everybody if they had had faith before um, than after the end. So then, verse 13, how did they respond to this? They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Um, He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Uh, Being dissatisfied with how God has provided is kind of a way you might uh, summarize that. Uh, God had brought them out and provided for them. Uh, miraculously, completely sufficiently, but that wasn't good enough for them. And so they um, 
continuously begged for something different, and he finally he had it with it. And he said, okay, here, you can have what you're asking for. But unfortunately, it also comes with leanness of soul there. And so, you know, sometimes the Lord has to deal with us that way. Unfortunately, he does have to deal with, deal with us that way when we just can't let go of something. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes he lets us have it and, and gives us what we want, and then we realize this is a real mistake. And uh, so um, that's what he did for them, and uh, that's the way they treated him. So when they envied, verse 16, when they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram, a fire was kindled in their camp, and the flame burned up the wicked. Okay, so um, Book of Numbers, they are in the wilderness, and um, some of them have begun to complain about the leadership of uh, the Lord, whom the Lord has chosen to lead. And um, so uh, the Lord makes a clear statement about, about that by having the earth open up and swallow those people. They just fall right down into an open crack in the earth that the Lord opens, and then he closes it. And it's just to make the point clear there that, you know, there was no questions to ask after that. Um, but then also some fire came out of those um, those those uh, incense things they had made, the hammered bronze thing. And um, so, again, they're complaining against the... Uh, the leadership that God had chosen for them. Verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Uh, this is idolatry on their part. Um, of course, as uh, they were waiting for Moses on the mountain to get those Ten Commandments, he's gone for 40 days, they don't know what's going on even though they've had enough instructions to just wait. But they um, get Aaron to collect gold uh, earrings, and he fashions a golden calf, and they say, that's your God who has delivered you from Egypt. And they are in the midst of, um, uh, of worshiping that calf in all kinds of um, idolatrous ways when Moses comes back from, uh, from getting the law there. It says, they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Um, what was their glory? Well, their glory was the creator, the God who had delivered them. And they traded that away for a cow. And uh, talk about a step down. You can't, you know, an infinite step down. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt Wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Um, therefore, he said that, that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach. Now, that's an interesting phrase, to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them. So, um, again, Moses, in response to this, goes down, sees them, uh, and... Uh, God says, okay, Moses, uh, I will make you into the nation. I'll just wipe them out, and I'll make you into the nation. And uh, Moses responds with intercession for them and saying, no, don't do that, Lord. And, you know, we don't want to think that in that story um, that um, uh, Moses is, is um, coming up with something new before the Lord here. Really what he's doing, because he spent 40 days up there with the Lord, what he's doing is he's um, he's reflecting what he's already learned from the Lord. Um, he, he's he's praying along the lines of what he knows the Lord to be merciful and forgiving. Uh, what the people deserved, yes, was to be wiped out. Um, but uh, but Moses has had his heart made in some ways when he was up on the mountain uh, uh, to be an intercessor and to be praying. And so um, he reflects back to God what God has put into his heart to intercede for his people. Um, 
So verse 24, then they despised the pleasant land. Here's the next great failure that they had. They refused to go into the promised land. They despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Remember, they sent 12 spies to look at the promised land. Um, Just an 11-day trip from uh, where they were in Egypt and, and then coming out of the Red Sea. They spent two years making the the tabernacle there, and it was just 11 days to go to the promised land. And they stood right on the border there. Um, They sent 12 spies in to look at the land, and then the spies came back and said, yeah, it's exactly what he said. It's it's beautiful. It's lush. Agriculturally, you know, they've got grapes the size of basketballs, and, and it's just magnificent in every way. And so that was true. But then they said, 10 of them said, but we can't go in there because there's just too many obstacles. There's bad guys right and left, and some of them are giants, and we're like bugs in their sight, like grasshoppers. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, nope, let's just go. We're well able to do this because God is with us. But they, they voted congregationally for uh, fear and for um, their own understanding, and they decided not to go. And again, again, it's one of the great failures of Israel is to not go into the promised land. 26, then he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. Again, the Lord's reaction at that point was, look, if if there's no faith on your part to obey me and to take me at my word, then there's no going forward. We just There's nothing left to say. And so uh, they went out and spent the next 38 years um, replacing the generation. One generation dying off, the next one's coming up. So uh, verse 28, Then they joined themselves also to Baal of Peor, this is the next generation going in. Um, they joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the num- to the dead. Excuse me, this is Numbers 25. And uh, they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Uh, this is not the next generation. I said that wrong. Um, the, uh, the story of Balak and uh, uh, Baal of Peor... Um, you know, Balak's one of those really mysterious guys in the scripture. He obviously has a very robust connection to the Lord, and yet he plainly is an enemy of God's people. Um, and so uh, he gives Baal of Peor um, uh, advice on how to get God to, to turn against God's people. And they bought into it. They ate sacrifices uh, to, made to the dead, and they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Verse 30, then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was counted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Um, there was um, the women of Baal, of Peor, and uh, went down there and enticed um, the population down there to... Um, worship their false gods in a sexually immoral way. And um, as that was rampantly spreading through the, the, the congregation, this one guy, Phineas, um, was greatly offended by it and um, takes a spear and kills uh, one of the Israelite males with one of, uh, of the, the women who had gone down into the camp to entice him. One shot, you know. He just needs one shot, you know, and that's it. And pins them to the ground, both dead. And God saw that and said, okay, uh, at least someone's got some, uh, something to say about this. And um, um, again, another, a very ugly part of Israel, Israel's uh, history. Verse 32, they angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them. Because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he, being Moses, spoke rashly with his lips. Again, they're wandering through the wilderness, 
they get to another place where they need the Lord to provide for them supernaturally, like he's already been doing for how many dozens of years. But they, again, don't look back on what they have seen and heard from the Lord, and instead they complain and complain and complain. And um, it's as if Moses finally kind of reaches his breaking point. And, um, you know, the story, he was supposed to go out and speak to the rock, right? Before he had struck, struck, struck the rock, now he's supposed to speak to it. And then the, the water would come out. But Moses goes out there and speaks to them in a very harsh, impatient way. You know, must I bring water from this rock, you rebels? And strikes the rock twice. And the Lord graciously provides them water. But um, Moses, like it said here, it went ill for him. And, um, you know, it's not that Moses blew the image. There was was a type there in the rock. You know, first the rock rock was smitten, then it was spoken to. The water came out of it. You can follow the images there, right, of water being provided, of being a type of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he blew the, the typology there, but... A little bit of explanation would, would take care of that. What the real crime was on Moses' part was that as someone who knew the Lord, he misrepresented the Lord in that he led people to believe um, that God was upset with them and had run out of patience with them, was angry with them when he was not. That's a very, very, um, God takes that very personally, um, uh, that um, he be represented according to his heart, that he is full of grace and mercy. And uh, Moses should have known better, and he didn't. And so it went ill for him. Of course, Moses couldn't go in to the promised land. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples. Now they're in the land. And they were supposed to under Joshua and then further on um, under the, the judges and then also the kings. They did not destroy the peoples, the original inhabitants of the land whom they were supposed to, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons. This is the lowest of low points. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Again, that doesn't need a lot of explanation. Um, They had sunk to utter depravity. They were as bad and worse than any of the nations around them. Um, So verse 40. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Um, Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. You know... This isn't the way the Lord wanted to deal with his people. Uh, He'd much rather, as he had said, bless them uh, in an an unlimited way um, as uh, as they would obey him. It was was his heart to bless them and to just see them full of abundance and joy. But because they... um, they wanted evil things and they disobeyed they put God into a place where he had to protect what he wanted to do. What, he, what needed to be done was to bring the Messiah into the world for the, to save everyone uh, who believes, right? And to bring that Savior of the world into the, uh, through the Jews, he had, to, he had to protect that, so he had to, to you know, scrape it off and start over. And, um, you know, the Lord reserves that right to do that, to... Um, to act in ways um, that are beneficial for the larger picture. And um, they, they backed him into a place where he had no choice. 
Uh, Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. That's good. Multitude of his mercies. That's good news. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Um, uh, Again, it's an ugly picture. You know, it starts with the confession of sin, and that's a good thing. Um, And you know, uh, when he says, we sinned with our fathers, we committed iniquity, done wicked, done iniquity, committed iniquity, uh, tongue twister there, Uh, committed iniquity, done wickedly. Um, You know, the, the New Testament version of that bar of soap is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess uh, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And um, so we say the same thing. That's what, the, that's what that confess means. We say the same thing. We agree with him. And, um, uh, you know, lest we... Um, lest we relegate this to an ugly picture of Israel and just look at it that way. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that um, uh, what, whatsoever happened beforehand was written for our example upon whom the ages, end of the ages have come. Um, they were guilty of ingratitude and forgetfulness and complaining and self-will criticizing God's leadership and idolatry and immorality. Uh, We need to be careful that we don't do any of those things. We're just as capable, just as evil in our hearts as they are. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. They didn't have that benefit. And they didn't have the light about what God has done that we have. And so, if anything, we have a greater responsibility Um, to avoid those things, right? So verse 47, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. That's why we say this this psalm is written by somebody in captivity. He plainly says he's been scattered, scattered amongst the Gentiles in captivity. And then verse 48, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen and praise the Lord. Um, so that's the end of Psalm 106. It's also the end of the fourth book of Psalms. And we get into the fifth book. Take us from Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. Um, so Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is, um, is, gives us a picture of God as a delivering God. Um, No one is beyond his delivering power. He says, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That's the way the last psalm started, right? For the Lord, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, And gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Again, uh, here's somebody writing. We don't know who and we don't know when. But they seem to be reflecting on, again, the history of Israel and their people. And how good the Lord has been in delivering them. Different types of uh, stories come out of um, the, the Israel's history, Israelite history as we have it recorded. And he's going to talk about them, and maybe we can land that in a specific place in history. Maybe we'll try to do that, you know, but we can't pin exact people and times and places. It's kind of hard, but for sure, we can take all of these stories and uh, see parallels in our own lives about how God has delivered us. Um, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? Uh, that he is good and that his mercy endures forever. You know, we, we are so willing to talk about so much, you know, we spend most of our day talking to other people. And we talk about everything and anything. Um, and uh, things that excite us, you know, the Packers had a pretty good free agency. And, uh, you know, we're willing to talk about that. But when it comes to the Lord, somehow we just clam up and stop, stop talking. 
Um, but the scripture says, let the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Um, you know, if we can't say the Lord is good, who's going to say it? His mercy, is good. His mercy endures forever. So here's, here's one type of person, <clears throat> verse 4 through 9. Uh, this one is about um, going from weariness to rest. They wandered in the, in the wilderness in a desolate way. Maybe this is about them in their wilderness wandering. It seems it might be, he might be reflecting on that. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Again, uh, you know, going from a place of weariness to a place of rest, going the wrong way to going the right way, uh, you know, um, as we read these stories, there's a way in which we can identify with each one of these stories um, in some way. Maybe you fit a little better uh, in one of these than one of the other stories, but oh, I can certainly identify with this. Maybe you can. My life was going the wrong way, and uh, I had no idea where I was going before the Lord came into my life and knocked on my door and invited me to his love and his mercy and his grace. Um, you know, do you remember what it was like to be going nowhere and to, to realize that? You know, that's what brought us to our senses in a lot of ways. I, I was going nowhere. We were going nowhere. Um, if there's a picture of this in the New Testament that kind of is like this, um, uh, you know, the two, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, where's Emmaus? What's Emmaus? What's nowhere? <laughs> you know, they were going the wrong way. And the Lord showed up and uh, talked some sense into them, right? Opened the scriptures to them. Um, he met them. He met you on the road going nowhere. And uh, explained to us how good he is and what he's done for us. So, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let's go to the next one, verses 10 through 16. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Maybe this is about uh, the time of the judges. Could be when uh, they, were compl- they, they would be a, in a, going through a cycle of uh, sinning and then falling under the oppression of a nearby pagan you know, government, and then they would cry out to the Lord and he would set them free. Um, maybe, could be. Again, it's hard to pin exactly, but again, you know, coming from darkness to light and um, finding yourself in a, play, a place where we are just captives, um, that's, you know, that's not a strange story to, uh, maybe that's not a strange story to you. Again, I, you know, I can reflect uh, on that and find myself, that's part of my story too. I, all the choices we made for our lives, again, they left us in shackles and left us bound. Um, and why? Verse 11, because they rebelled, we rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. You know, I, I grew up in a church, um, wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, and uh, granted, granted, that church has its problems, but it doesn't answer to me. Um, I could have heard from the Lord in that, you know, how many stories are like that represented tonight? You grew up in a church, you could have known better. You could have, you should have known better. But later in life, you found yourself completely in bondage because you rejected God's word. 
But God, in his grace, uh, he, first of all, he allowed that. It says, verse 12, he brought down their heart with labor. That's something he did. You know, uh, you think, well, that wasn't very nice of him. Well, which is, which is worse, that he does nothing and lets us go off the cliff eternally, or he makes it a little worse so that we come to our senses and ask him for mercy and for rescue. That is mercy, for him to make it a little worse so that we do come to our senses. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. Uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of stories here. Um, a lot of people here dwelt into the shadow of death, you know. They had no slaves to everything that the, Lord, that the world has to offer. And um, the Lord has set us free. Praise the Lord. Verse 15, Oh, the men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. He has broken the gates of bronze, cut the bars of iron in two. There was no way out. But you know what? God likes those odds. Uh, he likes odds that are impossible because then he gets the credit. He gets the glory. He set you free. He set me free. And there was no way out. He gets the glory and him alone. Verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. I, you know, again, I, I can enter in right there at the first word. Fool, uh, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Um, well, that sounds a little weird. I'm not sure where they would put it in Israelites' history. Maybe it's pretty general. You, you can put it anywhere. But what's this about the soul abhorred all manner of food? Um, um, well, put it this way. Uh, do you remember when you wanted the wrong thing? <laughs> when you fed on garbage? and uh, were totally addicted to it and wanted more of it. Okay, that's, yeah, that's what they're talking about. We wanted the wrong thing. We had a taste for sin. And uh, that brought us right to the, what does it say, the gates of death. Um, you know, I don't know where you would be. I, I think about myself where I would be if the Lord had not graciously knocked on my door. I'm sure I'd be dead. I'm fairly confident I would be dead. Uh, maybe that's your story too. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Delivered them from their, from, from, uh, delivered us from our destructions. And how did he do that? He sent his word. He sent his word. Uh, he showed us and taught us and said, no, you're going the wrong way. Here, let me show you the right way. And he showed us what he's done for us, and uh, he healed us. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Yes, uh, sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We should give him thanks. Um, there's, there's great cause to give him thanks every day when we think about his goodness and what he's done for us and how he's set us free. Uh, we reflect upon those things. We give him thanks. Those who go down to the sea in ships, verse 23 through verse 32. Um, you know, the Hebrews were not known as great seafaring folks, but they had a shoreline there. They did some... Uh, they did some um, uh, they did some some ocean-going trade at the time of Solomon, uh, but they weren't really known as a seagoing um, culture. Um, but they did, you know, uh, they they got the they got the bodies of water there, uh, the Sea of Galilee and the the shorelines of the Mediterranean. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, again, maybe this is just a generalized story out of the nation of Israel, and yet we can pull it forward into, you know, devotionally about 
people who, you know, they're doing business. It says doing business on great waters, experts in their field, whatever. Um, you know, you become very uh, adept at some trade, some thing. And, uh, you know, you can get yourself a, a, a great reputation that way. But it says, um, he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves to the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. I'm getting seasick just reading it. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the picture there is that um, they're out there doing their business, whatever it is, and the Lord allows it to go off the rails. In fact, he sends the storm. And again, uh, the idea there is, um, is that he's, he's allowing this so that there will be the opportunity to call upon him. Because if he just lets things go, might never ever call on him. Uh, and you know, this sounds a lot alike, sounds a lot like... Um, what you know, the stories in the New Testament, the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee happens twice, right? Um, there's Storm 101, and then there's Storm 102, <laughs> the advanced course. And, um, um, you know, those are professional fishermen. They've spent large part of their adult life learning those waters, being very confident in boats out there on the waters. They know how to get from point A to B on that body of water. Um, but he allows and even sends the storm. And uh, why does he do that? Well, first of all, I think so that they can see his power um, and learn to call upon him uh, quickly. You know, here's the story. This kind of feels like that story in some ways. You know, lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They're going down again to the depths. And their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and staggered like a drunken man. And they're at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. It brings them out of their distress. Yes, that is good to call upon the Lord in trouble. But why wait till it gets to that point? <laughs> uh, you know, in the story in the New Testament, it seems like they did everything to try to solve it themselves. Finally, last resort, they go wake up Jesus and get him involved. Why do we wait so long to bring the Lord into those situations? They cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Uh, You know, I bet that those guys were on that boat, and they're just bailing with two hands as much as they can, you know. And they realize that this has gone over our capacity, and so they get Jesus up. And then he shows them how much water he can handle and what his capacity is. And uh, so... um, he calmed the storm with just a word, and its waves are still. And then they are glad because they are quiet, and so he guides them to their desired haven. Um, you know, there's a lot of that in these, in these stories. Um, you know, the thing we're looking for in all of our efforts in life, apart from the Lord, is misplaced. Um, we're looking, like, like the, the story says, um, there's a God-shaped vacuum in all of our life and we try everything we can to try to fill that vacuum with the things of this world. Money, power, prestige, education, position, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And nothing's going to satisfy that. And uh, um, the Lord allows those efforts to fall to nothing so that we will look for him. Or, you know, they've said... Um, there's two great tragedies in life. One is not getting your heart's desire. The second is getting your heart's desire and finding out there's nothing there. And so, uh, you know, the, the place and the thing we're looking for is the Lord. We're looking for a living relationship with him. We're looking to be restored to him. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. Come to church and praise the Lord, is what that means today, and praise him in the company of the elders. Um, Verse 33, he turns rivers into a wilderness. In verse 33 through 38, 
is, is a picture of him uh, doing some things with nature. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground and fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs, and there he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. Again, that's all couched in terminology of an agricultural society, that's uh, fully dependent on the Lord providing all of those things and blessing all those, those annual cycles and the, the crops and all that things. To us, what does that mean? Well, you want to be where the Lord knows you will be the most blessed. It, it, you know, I might choose for myself now something that the Lord knows if he lets me have that and stay there, there's going to be a total reversal and I'm going to be miserable and bereft of every blessing if he lets me stay there. Uh, you know, if I camped out in this place where that's going to be dry and dead and barren, well, that be my, be, might be my first choice because I'm just choosing with my own eyes. But the, if we listen to the Lord, he says, no, this, just go where I tell you because in the end, you're really going to want to be where, where things are happening later. Um, you know who's, who's a picture of this in the scriptures is Lot. Um, you know the story of Lot and Abraham. Lot's tagging along with Abraham, kind of got his wagon hitched to Abraham as Abraham's on his journey to find and, and go where the Lord wants him to. It says, the scriptures say a lot about Abraham seeking the Lord and building altars and the Lord speaking to Abraham. It doesn't say anything about Lot seeking the Lord or Lot hearing from the Lord. But in the course of time, there comes a time when Lot and Abraham have to go their separate ways. What does Lot do? Or it has a very odd phrase. It says, Lot chose for himself. He looked with his eyes and chose for himself. You know where he chose? You could probably answer it. Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> what a bad choice. Uh, you know, the Lord knew what was going to happen to that place. If he had, Lot had gone and asked the Lord, hey, where do you want me? Wow, he would have avoided that whole thing. What did it ultimately cost a lot? Everything. Again, we want to be where the Lord knows we will be most blessed. And so maybe the choice doesn't make sense right now to us. That's okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Right? Okay, verse 39. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no hay. No, no, there is no way. Yet uh, he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Again, the Lord is well able to move things on your behalf and on my behalf. Even princes and uh, governments and all those things. Um, a total reversal of fortunes. Um, you know, if, if there's a New Testament version of this, it's in Jude where he says, or Jude admonishes us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And so um, we want to be where the Lord can bless us like he wants to bless us. And that happens through obedience to his word. So that's Psalm 107. We are giving thanks to the Lord for our deliverance. There's no one beyond God's delivering power. Psalm 108. Um, a psalm about future victory. A psalm of David. Apparently, they have uh, the armies of David and Israel have suffered a defeat, and they don't understand it. But David is praising the Lord for future victories. Um, and that's appropriate for us, too, right? We don't have to wait until the Lord um, works out in time our deliverance and our victories. We can, we, the promises he has given to us uh, are great and sure in his faithfulness. And so we can praise him now for 
what he's going to do. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. Of course, David was a musician and uh, sang and played, um, obviously very skillfully, even from a young age. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Your goodness, Lord, is sky high. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. Um, you know, he, he's, he's not afraid to call himself the Lord's beloved as he talks to the Lord. I'm your beloved. Uh, you know, the New Testament uses that same terminology. Uh, John was not afraid of calling himself the one whom Jesus loved. Um, you know, the Lord invites us to that kind of boldness. And to see, you can see yourself as the one whom God loves. And then God is somehow revealing something to David here, unique, in David's response, uh, in David's prayer, God responds. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Uh, Judah is my lawgiver. Okay, this is all part of the promised land. Um, You know, the Lord is saying, I've got a plan for all of this, and it's all going to happen. But he also says more than that. He says, Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will triumph. Uh, Three of of Israel's um, classical enemies, Moab, Edom, and Philistia, uh, Moab is my wash pot, um, not a very glorious position in God's economy, but nonetheless, he's the Lord's, he's laying claim to it. Uh, over Edom I will cast my shoe, again, uh, kind of a statement of, of um, victory, and uh, well, you've seen it, you encountered this in the New Testament, I mean, in the, in the uh, uh, news Remember when Saddam Hussein's statue came down, and what, what did you see them all doing? They get up there, and they whack him with the shoe. It's, a, it's, a, it's an image of contempt. Um, the Lord is saying, I've, uh, you know, I've got this all in hand, and over Philistia, I will triumph. Um, the Lord's going to be completely, victory, completely victorious over the enemies. Uh, who will and then here's David's response who will bring me into the strong city who will lead me to Edom is it not you o god who cast us off again here's the here's the the reflection on the fact that the lord had brought them to a place of defeat and allowed it and yet here's the mature spiritual response um, the mature spiritual response is to draw near to the Lord, uh, even in the face of defeat, is to still go to the Lord and thank him and praise him and count on his blessings still. Um, who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off, and you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from troubles, and I think verse 12 is the central idea in this psalm. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. And that's, you know, ain't that the truth, as uh, the colloquialism goes. Um, there There is nothing that man can do, and we, uh, we know that. For the help of man is useless. Through God... There's the reverse of that. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. The New Testament version of this is Philippians 4.13. It says, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Um, And Psalm 108 is a psalm of future victory in the Lord. Psalm 109, as we finish up here, um, Psalm 109 will go quickly. Um, It is an imprecatory psalm. You know what that means? 
means it's a psalm where it's a prayer to God where uh, the writer is asking God to get him. There's somebody who's an enemy who is causing all kinds of problems, and Lord, I want you to flatten that guy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of imprecatory psalms. Um, you've been through this with the psalms, you know that. You've seen it over and over again. Psalm 109 takes first place. This guy is going to be super inventive on what he is asking the Lord to do. Uh, Verse 1, do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Again, Psalm 109 is about um, the innocent being betrayed and uh, um, in David's life, as it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, we can't, we can't land to this exactly somewhere in David's life. David had a lot of people against him. As the leader of Israel, he had a lot of enemies. You know, there was uh, Absalom, his own son. There was Ahithophel who turned against him. There's, um, as he's leaving town, there's Shimei hurling curses at him. Could have been a lot of people. We don't know who. But um, uh, in, in that, that paradigm, that picture of the innocent being betrayed, ultimately we go forward and we see this fulfilled completely with Judas betraying Jesus. And if there, there isn't any greater uh, demonstration of the darkness of men's hearts than that, then uh, Judas, who is a disciple of Jesus, um, seeing all and, and partaking in all that the Lord is doing, betraying him. And um, we see it already in verse uh, 4. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Um, you know, the Lord was only good to people in Israel, was only good to them, wanted to save them, spoke to them, uh, worked miracles in their midst. And yet, the high priests and the priests and the Levites, all the religious leaders, despite the Lord's love for them, wanting them to be saved, despite praying for them, I'm sure, uh, they have rewarded me evil for good. Verse 5. Set a wicked man over him. Here, Here he gives... Here he kind of really goes off into the inventive on his wanting to get even with this guy. Set a wicked man over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand when he is judged. Give him a taste of his own medicine, Lord. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Peter goes and quotes that verse after Judas has killed himself. You know, people are split on whether or not Peter was doing the right thing in in filling that position. Um, But he quotes this verse uh, after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, but before the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let another take his office. Uh, Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from the desolate places. They can go eat out of the dump. Uh, let the creditor seize all that he has and foreclose on him, Lord, and let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be uh, any favor t- uh, to his fatherless children. Wow. You know, let it work out against his kids. Nor uh, let his posterity be cut off, and, let the, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Wow, he's really got his pen going there and some acid, right? I mean, he's just... Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Uh, He's dragging his parents into this. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Happy Mother's Day. Here, we've remembered your sin. Uh, Let them be continuously before the Lord that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Because he did not remember to show mercy but persecuted the poor and needy man that he might even slay the broken in heart. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, 
there's something to be said um, about persecuting people, obviously, treating them unjustly. There's something more to be said when those who are being persecuted are really, really vulnerable people. And um, this guy is persecuting the poor and needy man. Um, As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. You know, again, take everything he's doing and give it to him in spades. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garments, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt with which he girds himself continually. In other words, he can't get away from it. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers, accusers and those who speak evil against my person. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a painful thing to be lied about and to be slandered. Um, and it's going to happen. You know, uh, David was a leader in Israel. And, um, you know, anybody who chooses to go forward in the Lord in any sort of way, um, even, you know, if, if you're going into ministry, if you want to serve the Lord, but even if you're just leading your family and, and being an example at work of a Christian, um, you're leading that way too. And, you, you, you know, the enemy's going to come against you, and his chief way of doing that is going to be with slander and with gossip. We have a culture that's saturated with it. We have a whole entertainment industry that's, that's, that revolves around and loves to see those who are, uh, you know, held out as examples. We love to see them just crash and burn and just skewer them. It's big money entertainment-wise. And it's just sickness in our culture. Um, so it shouldn't be any surprise that Satan turns that, that paradigm against those who are going forward in the Lord. And that's a painful thing uh, to be lied about that way. But what's even more painful is when people believe it. Uh, That's that's where it really hurts is when when people talk and say things and then others, they don't bother to come and check and see. I heard this about you. That can't be true, right? You know, we, we don't know both sides of the argument. And so... Um... Slander, uh, it ought to be far, far away. Slander, gossip, would be far, far away from those who name the name of the Lord. But you, O O, uh, God the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I have become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. David, apparently fasting and praying, looking for the Lord to talk to, the, to, to him. Um, and in this, this verse, he uh, becomes a type of Christ. And, and verse 25, I have also become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. When Jesus is on the cross, again, the high priests and those who are mocking him, the crowds, wag their heads and mocked him again, and that's the low point in humanity right there. The Son of God on the cross, paying for the sin of the world, and those standing around, you know, mocking him as he is doing that for them. Uh, Help me, O Lord my God, O save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. You know, imprecatory psalms are kind of a problem, right? Um... Uh, what do we say about them? You know, here's recorded in Scripture the prayers of God, prayers of, of people of God calling down curses and judgments on, on other people. Well, that might have been acceptable 
for the Jews living under the law, but it's certainly not acceptable for us living under grace. Um, you know, uh, we live with more light and we live with uh, a different administration. We live with under, under the thing of grace. What do we do about the imprecatory psalms? They ought to remind us that um, sin deserves judgment. And if we gather up all the imprecatory psalms, all the things that are called down by whoever is writing those psalms, David and uh, others, not all the imprecatory psalms are David, um, against those sins and against those evil things, those are just a shadow of uh, the avalanche of judgment that was due our sin. And ultimately, all that was called down upon Jesus for our sin uh, that's what the imprecatory psalms ought to serve to do in our lives, is to remind us of what Jesus did for us on the cross uh, in paying for our sin. Let's stand and we'll finish. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we do thank you for your word and for the light and truth you bring to our hearts and minds. As we look at your word, thank you for your great goodness and your kindness to us. Help us to walk in wisdom and light and love, that you might be glorified, Lord. Fill us with your spirit for these things. Send us out in peace and uh, give us opportunities to glorify you in our lives. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.